0: Show of
1: Opportunity, Stargate Rewatch Podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 18, Serpent Song. Ooh,
0: this is a big one.
1: This is a big Did you remember this one? Because the last few you haven't. I
0: know. It seems to be a recurring theme where I'm like, I don't remember these at all. <laughs> did I even watch the show? I don't know. <laughs> I did remember this one.
1: Yeah. Okay. <gasps> yeah. This is, yeah. yeah, this is a very big episode for our team. There's lots of good stuff that happens in this one, I think, lots for everybody, really.
0: Very emotional, very emotional.
1: Oh, yeah. I like, I kind of actually like teared up this morning when I was rewatching the episode. <laughs> May have been, you know, affected by other things that are happening, but yeah, I typically got a little teary at the end today. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. <laughs> so, yes. No, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This
0: is a good one.
1: Yeah, very much.
0: Did you look up a lot of fun facts today?
1: um there's a few there's not too much um you know some stuff about like sokar and you know that kind of stuff so
0: yeah well
1: a a, a little bit but not again not not too much to look up this week last one last couple the last few have not had much sort of fun fact stuff to delve into so
0: Ah, so we're gonna have to make up the fun facts
1: Possibly. So feel free to interject anytime you want to make up a fun fact about <laughs> <laughs> something. All right. I like it. Okay. So to get into this one, this is Serpent's Song. It originally aired on February 12th, 1999. It was written by Catherine Powers. And we have the directorial debut of Pierre Deloise, who had gone on to direct the most episodes of any director of SG1
0: oh so, that is a fun fact
1: yeah so okay so there there's one for you right off the top and then there won't be one for a little while yet but okay okay yeah. uh, <laughs> So, in this episode, the SG-1 team's mortal enemy, Apophis, is being hunted by the enigmatic Gould Sokar and throws himself at Jack O'Neill's mercy. Tortured and close to death, Apophis proposes a deal, revealing all he knows about the Gould in return for a new host body. For Daniel, Tilk, and Sam, this is a deal with the devil. Ooh, indeed. Indeed it is. Mm-hmm. So this episode, we open in space with a death glider being fired upon by a ghouled mothership. And then we cut down to the surface of the planet where we see SG-1 kind of lounging around by the gate. Daniel quite, like, seductively. Uh, I, I remember there's, like, a promo shot, like, for season two of this setup of them, like, lounging on the stairs. That's just, like, all over the place. And just, yeah. Yeah, of them just, just hanging out in just space hanging out on other planet. Yeah, cool. hanging out on the steps by the gate, and Daniel's all like, bring me my wine. I don't know, just <laughs> the way Daniel's lounging there is like, he's a little too relaxed here, I think. But anyway, so based on the conversation, it seems like they're waiting for the Tok'ra. They got some kind of signal like on their radio frequency, like not that like Sagan box thing they gave the Tok'ra, but something on like the SGC's radio frequency came through that was the coordinates for this place. And that was all they got. So they can't really be sure it was the Tok'ra. And while Sam, Daniel, and Jack are like sitting on the steps up by the gate, Tilk's kind of like walking around and stuff. And he kind of like hears something and kind of like pauses and like looks around and is like, what was that? And then we hear like an explosion. And Tilk turns to look. And he finally spots that Death Glider from earlier like coming into the planet's atmosphere. And it's still taking fire. And it's sort of you know starting to make impact with the planet so jack orders everyone down to try and avoid getting hit and the death glider like swoops by right over the heads and then crashes on the other side of the sand dune so you want to head over to the crash site with their weapons raised but see just sort of an empty cockpit so they start looking around and we finally see somebody crawling away from the crash and jack heads over but this this is not just anyone it's apophis
0: no man asks
1: for help Oh, man. Yes. I'm wondering if, so with the way Apophis is attired, with also that silver helmet thing, do you think we were initially supposed to think that, like, that was, like, Braytac, like, from the back before you see his face?
0: Oh, in the reveal?
1: Yeah, and then, oh, oh, my God, like, you know, so we're like, oh, my God, what happened to Braytac? Oh, <gasps> no, it's Apophis instead, because he's not wearing Apophis clothes. Ah! Uh...
0: Don't I mean they don't really show the back of him very long before he turns around. Yeah, that's
1: true. Yeah.
0: I think I think we're just supposed to think like, oh, it's a Jafar.
1: Like, <gasps> no, it's not. It's Apophis. It yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we come back from the opening credits, and obviously Ashiwan is completely shocked at who that is and the fact that he's like pleading with them for help, and Tilk raises his Zat gun and like intends to kill. Apophis here, and Sam stops him because Apophis is way more valuable to them alive than he is dead, which it's kind of hard to argue with that, unfortunately. And then a lot more Death Gliders start coming in, so Jack orders everyone back to the gate, including Apophis, and back home. And we get probably one of the coolest shots up to this point in SG-1, where one of the Death Gliders comes and kind of, like, hovers over the DHD-ish area uh, and, like, pointed towards the gate. And Jack turns to face it and starts firing at it as he, like, walks backwards through the gate. And we actually get sort of the backwards into the wormhole point of view, which is really cool, I thought. A little different than we normally do. And um so but like he's still firing as he like goes through and comes out on the other side and unfortunately debris from i guess the blast that the death glider fired kind of follows through and knocks jack down before they get the iris closed so general hammond apophis apophis general hammond yeah don't worry they've met which for some reason it took me a second to remember oh yeah children of the gods very first episode they Mm. you know didn't say anything but yeah they've met Mm, So briefly, very briefly. Yes. Um, And we have Apophis who's like all sort of bloody and looking rather like worse for wear on a gurney. And he demands Kalma, which is apparently sanctuary. So Hammond's like, why? We're like, I don't know. But it looks like he just got his butt handed to him by another ghoul. And basically Hammond is like, you know, we're not. No, we're not going to shelter you. Are you kidding me? And like orders him to be locked up in the brig. Luckily, Fraser is there and interjects and says he needs to get to the OR if you want to, like, get anything out of him. We need to make sure he's going to actually be alive. True. So, yeah. So, fine. Go get him in the OR. And she wants to start him on two IVs and Ringer's lactate. Would you like to know what Ringer's lactate is? Oh, do I ever. What is it? So it's also known as sodium lactate solution or Hartman's solution, and it's a mixture of sodium chloride, sodium lactate, potassium chloride, and calcium chloride in water, and it's used for replacing fluids and electrolytes in those who have low blood volume or low blood pressure, which seems like something Apophis would be suffering from, given the sort of injuries we can see on him.
0: True, yes,
1: yes. There you go. That's Mm -hmm. that. So there's one fun fact for you. (laughs) yeah so, no, that's, that's two. There's two fun facts. That's right, that's two. Um, okay, so as Apophis gets carted away, Hammond orders for guards to be on him at all times, and they are to do anything necessary to stop him if he should try to escape, and he'll debrief with SG-1 at 1100 hours. And we cut to then... Sometime later, an apophis is out of surgery, but is tied down to the gurney in, like, the full five-point restraint, so that, like, the around his neck, tying him down to the bed, around his wrists, and, like, around his ankles. And, yeah, he's and not going anywhere. No, he, he's not going anywhere, for sure. And so Dr. Frazier is with SG-1 and Hammond up in, like, the observation room, going over his injuries. So both of his femurs were smashed, like, smashed, she says. Not just broken, but smashed. <laughs> And there was a lot of internal bleeding. He's stabilized for now, but there's also something wrong with his symbiote. And Dr. Frazier doesn't think the symbiote's really going to be able to help with how injured, like, it's covered in, like, lesions and stuff, too. And we get a Jolinar flashback with Sam from when Jolinar was killed by the Ashrak. And Sam's like, that thing that the Ashrak did to me, that's what was done to Apophis. So... It was, like, intended to, like, cause pain and just terrible, like, injury, and, yeah, there's really nothing you can do to fix it if you don't have a sarcophagus, so. Which they do not. No, they do not. No. So we then move to the briefing room, and, well, the short of it is, is that Apophis is dying. Jack's like, great, well, how long is that going to be? Five so, minutes? Wait for five, it. can we, ten minutes? Are we, do we know? Uh, And Fraser's like, well, I mean, days, maybe weeks at the absolute most. And so, okay, so like, what does he really want? Why did he come to us in this situation? And Daniel kind of seems certain that he just wants what he asked for, which is sanctuary. And Jack's not having any of that at all. And Tilk mentions often that a defeated Gould will actually submit to be in the service of their conqueror in exchange for life rather than being put to death they'll be like i will serve you now as my master so they get to live and while sg1 might not have been his conqueror they certainly had a very heavy hand in his downfall and jack just jack really doesn't care what apophis wants he just wants to get as much information out of him that they can and then like toss him back to the planet that they got him from and let whoever was there deal with him because it's apophis jack does not give two shits about apophis at all So uh, Hammond speaks up that unfortunately they can't really do that since he's essentially a prisoner of war and that does allow him certain rights and Jack doesn't really like that at all. He's like rights really rights this guy has rights and then Sam's like there's also the issue of the host who's completely innocent in all this like we're not just dealing with the puff here there's also the host and uh, Hammond has been commanded by his superiors to get whatever information they can out of him once he's conscious. So everyone's dismissed, and Jack is very much not happy with the situation, and as he leaves the briefing room, just goes, I should have shot him. So that's where we are right now, which... I somehow there's...
0: don't think, like, at all that apava would have been like, If they actually, you know, helped him and gave him sanctuary and stuff, there's no way he would have been like, yes, I work for you now. He, he, no.
1: (laughs) No. They would have had to, he would have been, like, in a prison type thing forever. Like. Yeah. Yeah. No.
0: And tried to escape at every chance he got.
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, so we then cut to some time later, and Jack is in the observation room, just sort of watching over Apophis when he wakes up. So he calls out to Dr. Frazier to let her know. She goes over and like leans in close to hear what he has to say. And Jack tries to warn her to stay back, and he, she's like, "He can't do anything to me. It's fine." Uh, and but apparently, Apophis has asked for Jack by name, so mm-hmm. Jack heads mm-hmm. in. Yes. So Jack is into the infirmary, and after much posturing on both of their parts, uh, it turns out the thing that Apophis wants is a new host. And surprise! It, yeah, I know. We, who, who didn't see that coming? Like, surprise? Not? Nah, no. Yeah. And in exchange, he'll tell them, like, everything he knows about the Gould and their technology and weapons and, like, all that awesome stuff and, like, star travel, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And Jack is just like, go to hell. And then so Apophis replies, a single human life is worth so much you would risk a world. And O'Neill goes, that's right. That's why they call us the good guys. No. And I just find it interesting after like holiday last week, there was the whole Michello wants a, per- wants, you know, a new body to live in. And here we now have the same situation with Apophis. That's sort of back to back. There's been this whole, yeah, no, a human life is worth way more than whatever it is you have to offer yeah this thing sort of interesting similarities back to back in these episodes
0: that is very interesting and from opposite sides of the good bad spectrum yeah also as it were
1: very much true yes
0: Mm -hmm. but we came to the same conclusion for either where we're like no
1: no yeah no No, that doesn't happen no you don't get a new body sorry you're dying but that's not our problem basically um So Jack just stares at Apophis as he tells, hey, hey Doc, just let me know when Apophis dies and turns to leave when Apophis says Sokar. And so apparently Sokar is the ghoul that was chasing after Apophis when we sort of rescued him, quote unquote, if you will, from the planet. And he's become quite powerful. And it's the main reason Apophis came here. Basically, Apophis has set up set us up so that if Sokar is able to track him to Earth, he will destroy Earth and therefore the SGC along with him. And so Earth oh. will be out of the picture and Apophis will be dead too. But Apophis don't care because all all, all the Earthlings are also dead. You so. crafty bitch. I know. I was like, oh, that's that's a good plan. I mean, it's a horrible plan, but it's a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we cut to Daniel's office where SG-1 is discussing Sokar, and according to Tilk, he was once the ruler of all the system lords, but was taken out by an alliance that included Apophis and Ra, and Apophis had thought that Sokar was killed, but apparently not. And according to Daniel, Sokar was the original god of death in ancient Egypt, and there was a time when he once ruled all the earth, and his lands around Memphis were covered by darkness and inhabited by serpents. Oh, man. Uh, you say. yes. Uh, would you like some more information about Sokar? Sure. Okay. So as I said, he was the memphite god of the dead, but he was also the patron of the workers who built the necropolis, the craftsmen who made tomb artifacts and of those who made ritual object objects and substances used in mummification. So a lot of death type stuff seems to surround him mm-hmm. and, um, Sokar was also known as He of Rosatau, which is apparently the area around the Giza pyramids, but also related more generally to any necropolis and also to the entrance of the underworld. Um, Sokar went through several visual representations, but by the new kingdom, he was depicted as a hawk-headed mummy with a scepter that represented power, a flail and a crook. And he usually stands on a funerary mound which may have been sort of representative of like the primeval mound of like where the earth came from um and he wears a sun disc cow horns and the regal cobras although in certain situations he also wears the white crown and as a falcon deity he's actually often related to horus and can sometimes wear the double crown of upper and lower egypt Sokar is mentioned regularly in the pyramid texts in his own right, but from the Middle Kingdom, he was often merged with Ptah. And Ptah Sokar then represented the soil and its power to create life. So, again, sort of a life and death thing. And yes, as Ptah was considered to be the patron of artisans, Sokar became specifically the patron of goldsmiths. Oh. Um, as far yeah. as the sort of the underworld connection, the Amduat, which means that which is in the netherworld, describes the underworld in terms of the journey of Ra through 12 hours, and Sokar inhabits hours four and five. And so during the fourth hour, Ra enters the desert of Rustau, and the river becomes a dry bed littered with dangerous snakes, more snakes, and the path is repeatedly blocked by huge doors, Ra's boat is then transformed into a fire-breathing snake, and Thoth and Sokar protect him as he makes a slow progress through the desert. Then, in the fifth hour, the sun must pass over the cave of Sokar, and inside the cave, Sokar restrains the winged serpent Apep, which represents chaos, and the cave of Sokar is guarded by Lions. Holy crap, that was a lot. Yeah, there's, I mean, and there's a whole lot more, but that was sort of the gist of things so, so yes yeah, so, yes very much death and the underworld and and all that good stuff so, Death,
0: underworld no good very bad things yes okay yep serpents serpents everywhere and cow horns is yes. what i got from that
1: yes okay yeah okay So in the office, as they're talking about Sokar, Daniel had pulled up a picture on his computer from, you know, some ancient text. And it seemed to show Sokar in the form of like an Unas, which kind of makes sense, according to Daniel. Because if Unas were the original hosts, at some point they had to exist at the same time that humans did. So they could sort of swap from one to the other. Mm -hmm. And so the part of the underworld that Sokar ruled was filled with lakes of fire that people were thrown into after being, like, tortured and stuff. So, so hell. Yeah. It, it was hell, and basically Sokar was the original Satan. Yay! To which Jack goes, well, isn't that special? And I want to know if that's a church lady reference, because... Oh, it probably is. I'm, I'm like, because anytime somebody says isn't that special, she's like, well, isn't that special? It, it has to be. You hear it. I hope it is. Um, And then we get an incoming traveler. So... Everybody runs to the control room and Simmons confirms to Hammond that no SG teams are currently off world. So Hammond orders the Iris to be closed, which, why isn't it just always closed? I don't know. It's
0: interesting, isn't it?
1: I know. I would think you would keep it closed and only open it when you have the signal rather than having to close it and then open it. Like, just keep it closed. And then you're fine.
0: Yeah. I wonder so, that myself.
1: Yeah. Um So soldiers rush into the gate room and take aim at the gate. And it's actually, is this the one? There's sort of two shots of, like, soldiers rushing to the gate room, and I can't remember if it's this one or the next one. But they're sort of, like, the camera's sort of, like, in the middle of all the soldiers, like, running into the gate room and, like, taking up their position and stuff. Um, So it kind of, it was just... I think a very Peter DeLuise kind of thing where we, because we haven't really gotten that kind of thing before. Usually it's just the camera's stable as soldiers run by it. This time the camera was like in the soldiers as mm-hmm. they were running down the hall. I don't know. Yeah.
0: We're getting some interesting camera angles.
1: Yeah. I think Peter right. DeLuise really did a lot for.
0: The creativity.
1: Yeah. And like the visuals and how the show was shot and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm glad yeah. he's finally here because yeah, I think he does good stuff for the show. So. Okay. Yep. So, um, one runs into the control room just as the wormhole gets established and nothing happens for a bit. And then there's a thud of something hitting the iris and the wormhole shuts down. So Simmons calls for the radiation team to come take readings so they can figure out what it was that hit the iris. And Jack requests to go continuing interrogating Apophis and Daniel kind of wants to take over for a bit since he's basically the resident expert on SOCAR. So he gets permission to do that. And then we get possibly one of my favorite like scenes of season two where uh, Daniel then enters the infirmary and he like finally gets to actually confront Apophis about everything that this like asshole has done to him in his life. And it's like, it's really tense because like Apophis says that he loved Ammonette and Daniel's like, her name is Sharae, Amonet has taken her prisoner and just like, they're just getting, like, all of their, like, stuff out. And it's just, like. a great like, scene. It's so good. It's just, like, the barely controlled rage in Daniel that Michael's able to put out there
0: mm-hmm. is so
1: good. And he's able to get sort of, like, one last dig in there where he's like, I know where your son is. You thought oh, like Her- were? He's like, oh, no, Harrow didn't take him. I took him. I brought him into this world. And I took him from you. And it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then sort of right near the very end, Daniel threatens to kill Apophis if he doesn't tell Daniel where Sharae is. And Apophis is like, you're not going to do that. You don't have the will to do that. But before we can find out if Daniel does have the will to kill Apophis, Sam comes running in to let Daniel know that they're pretty sure the thing that hit the iris was the Sagan box that they gave to the Tok'ra. So now we do actually have contact with the Tok'ra. Yay. Yay. So, in the control room, the gate engages with an incoming traveler, and Hammond asks Sam if she's really sure about this. She's like, if it was the box that we gave to Tok'ra, yes, absolutely, 100%. That it actually came from the Tok'ra, I, I may, we can't really be sure about that. But Jack backs her up, so they keep the iris open, and we get Martuth and two other Tok'ra, but not Jacob, coming through. Yay. And Yay! Basically, they've come to warn the SGC that they need to return Apophis to the planet that they got him from. Apparently, a lot of people know where Apophis is.
0: I know. This is, this whole um, episode is very interesting with figuring out what people know about each other. Yeah. Because not only... Also, I find it interesting, um, just, I don't know, the gossip and the, the rumor mill going on and what everyone knows about each
1: other. It's just, it's all very interesting. We're like, how do you even... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get a very brief scene of Tilk, like, walking up into the observation room while everybody else is gone and just sort of, like, staring down at Apophis, who's mm-hmm. just, like, laying helpless in bed while Tilk, like, looks over him. So, yeah, that's got to be an interesting feeling for Tilk right now.
0: Yeah, this whole episode is just so delicious. It is.
1: So up in the briefing room, basically, we learned that there were Tok'ra spies on board Sokar's ship and they saw SG-1, quote unquote, rescue Apophis and Jack's like, that's not really what we did. Just we did not save Apophis, just so you know. Mm -hmm. We didn't go there for that purpose. And they tell Martuf about the radio signal. And by now they sort of worked out that somehow Apophis is the one who sent the radio signal through and so he could, you know, put his whole plan to basically sabotage Earth into play. And this causes, like, Lantash to come out, and who is just, like, completely agog at the fact that Apophis would want to take refuge with the Tauri. And basically, Jack tells him about the plan that Apophis has told him that if Apophis is going to go down, he's going to take us with him. And there's a lot of back and forth between Lantash and SG-1 where he's trying to convince them about how much danger they're in and don't they know how much danger they're putting everybody else on the planet in. And like, he's really agitated about this like whole situation and how he thinks uh, SG-1 or like the SGC doesn't comprehend the danger that they're in by having Apophis in their possession. Yeah. And, and they're just but, children playing with fire, basically. Yeah. And they're like they know, but they're not just going to give him back. And they tell Lantash that Apophis is dying. And we get sort of this final line from Lantash where he goes overconfidence was their failing O'Neil. I hope it has not also become yours.
0: Oh, so, man.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, um, so then Martuv comes back, comes back and kind of like apologizes <laughs> And asks if they can be taken to see Apophis since SG-1 isn't going to give him back. And it just, it seems really interesting that, like, Lantash, like, does not like SG-1 at all. I don't know if it's just this situation, but he kind of, like, came to it with a lot of, like, animosity for some reason.
0: He did! He did. I don't
1: don't know if it's leftover Jolinar stuff, if he still sort of holds them responsible for her death or something somehow. But, yeah, Lantash does not really like SG-1, I think, at this point, so. No. no. So, in the infirmary, Martouf is trying to talk to Apophis, and I think we got to give props again to the makeup department this week for the sort of the very gradual old-age makeup that they put on Peter Williams as Apophis, as, like, the symbiote dies and the, the body, unfortunately, kind of goes with it. Like, it's really good. It's go really this good. Episode. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's very yeah. well done. Yes. But, like, Apophis is just, like, he's completely out of it and keeps calling for Amonet. And eventually, like, the ghouled voice goes away and we seem to be left with just the host, who is now speaking ancient Egyptian. And everybody urges Daniel to talk to him. And he's like, what what do you say to somebody who's been trapped inside their own body for thousands of years? Like, just spur of the moment, I, I wouldn't know what to say. But then luckily, maybe, I don't know, he, like, passes out, so they kind of don't need to deal with things for a little bit because this kind of throws a wrench in the works. Like, if the host is still there and aware, like, this is the first time we're getting this sort of aspect of the ghoul possession because our only other previous experiences with, you know, ghouls and hosts and all that stuff has been with Skara and Sharae, who've only been hosts for a very short period of time. And then there's Satokra, but that's not, like, the same thing. So having a host who's been a host for thousands of years and that they're still aware and know everything that's happened is very sobering, I think, for everyone in that room when they realize what's going on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Although, you know what they've never really addressed, though, which would be an interesting storyline, because they always have, like, the hosts are, like, good, innocent people that are, like, tortured. But, like, what if you just get the occurrence that the host was, like, as equally sadistic as the ghoul and was like, that was amazing. (laughs) I conquered and thousands of people,
1: killed millions. That would be interesting.
0: It was neat. (laughs)
1: <laughs> which just i don't know why sound popped into my head but what if hannibal lecter became a ghoul right <laughs> that would be so interesting yeah just like a psychopath thank god all that power oh that would be bad that would be bad <laughs> <That'd> because <laughs> they bad. never
0: really have that where it's always no. you know like you know just an innocent farmer
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even Ra was just like some kid who was too curious for his own good in the yeah. movie. You know? Oh, that's something to think about. Mm. we we'll hmm. put that in the next show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we do get the new SG1 series, please fingers crossed. Yeah. Um so we then get another unscheduled incoming traveler, like that S- SGC is very busy this week. Um nice. and uh, Martouf isn't expecting anyone and there's still no SG teams off world so rush back to the control room everybody goes and the iris is closed and there's a lot of thuds mm. being heard impacting it and Martouf believes that this is Sokar because he apparently has the ability to send subatomic particles with like a particle generator. Um, So something is then happening to the iris like it's sort of turning red and like sort of wavering and looking weird and we finally get the image of like a face but it kind of looks like an Unas face kind of in weird wavy thing and uh, that is Sokar and he knows that the SGC have Apophis and he wants them back. And basically, Sokar is going to keep doing this bombardment thing every 38 minutes until he gets what he wants, and Martouf doesn't know any way to help, and so Jack tells Sam to go try and get as much information out of Apophis as she can, and Tilk will go with her. In the infirmary, Sam asks Apophis about particle beam accelerator thing that Sokar is using, and there's no Defense against it because it's the same thing that Sokar used on Apophis. So apparently Apophis also has an iris of some sort on his gate, which is what I took from that.
0: I was, I, I kept trying to wonder, like, how do
1: who knows they even have it? I, that's Like, how does Sokar know that we have an iris that he needs to bombard it with particle beams to make it weak and destroy it? I don't know how Sokar would know that. I don't
0: know. And I was thinking, like, couldn't they just power down the gate? Or well, would that transfer it to the other one?
1: I think that would just transfer Well, if the other one's not plugged in either, I
0: don't. I mean, they do mention, yes, of course, we need to think about him just, like, coming at us from spaceships. But yeah. he kept worrying about, you know, the damage and stuff happening to the gate. And I was like, can't they just
1: unplug it? <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But, I mean, even if our gate's not plugged in, it's the dialing gate that needs the power. So would that even matter for incoming? For outgoing, yes. But for incoming, I don't know how much power the incoming gate needs. Huh. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 So also at this point, um, Apophis is looking like very old and we're starting to get like gray hair in there and it's 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 quite disconcerting to see mm-hmm. him looking like this. And he also he's then sort of suddenly in a lot of pain and kind of like cries out. So Sam goes to get Dr. Fraser, leaving Tilk alone with him, which I'm not sure if that was the best decision in yeah. this moment. But uh Tilk tells Apophis that today the day of his death will be a holiday on Chulak and that the Jaffa are now finally free like no matter what Apophis says and Apophis just basically throws back in his face oh yeah well you still need the larval ghoul to be alive and so then Tilk just like turns that back around on him and is like we will use the symbiotes as you used us like once it matures we'll just like throw it away and get a new one and like not let the mature Gould take a host, just, like, toss them and let them die. And, yeah, the Jaffa are now going to use the Gould as the Gould have used the Jaffa. Okay. Oh,
0: so, yeah, Apophis was, like, horrified at this. Like, no!
1: What? Like, for some reason, that, like, never occurred to Apophis that they could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Frasier comes in to help, you know, pain medication or whatever it is that he needs, and took is like, don't. No, like he won't let Fraser near here, near him, but he does eventually move out of the way and Fraser gives him the medicine to help with the pain. And I mean, I have to give props to like Dr. Frazier through this whole episode for being like, no matter what everybody else is saying, she's like, this is my patient. I must do my best by the patient, no matter what you all say about him, no matter what he's done. He's my patient. I will do my best to treat him well. So, yeah, I think good for her. Um, so Sam then steps back in to try and figure out what to do about sort of the shields and the iris, and Apophis just mentions that he senses that she was once a host to a ghoul and that she would make a lovely host for Sokar's new queen, and Sam does not like that at all. Why is
0: it whenever anybody learns that she had been host to a ghoul, they're like, aha, well, obviously you should be host to another, like...
1: (laughs) I, yeah.
0: I don't know, you'd think that that would make them less likely to be... A host.
1: I, I, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, for the toker, it kind of makes sense because when they first meet the toker, and they know that Joel and Arsa toker, the toker only take willing hosts, so they think Sam said yes, and though she didn't. Um, and then obviously, I wonder if maybe there's something where, like, not every person can actually be a host. Like, if there's something where some people's bodies just like reject the symbiote or something, so that maybe, I don't know, since it happened once, it can happen again, I
0: don't know. It Uh, seems to me like the only thing that anyone ever says to her when they learn she's a ghoul, they're like, aha, oh, well, you'd make a lovely host again. Like, what? No. No, 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 no.
1: So back in the gate room, things are getting like really hot with the whole particle accelerator thing and Siler is spraying the iris down with liquid nitrogen, trying to keep it cool and he's in like this big silver like suit thing. And just whenever I see this scene now, I can only think of Bree's Stargate Cantina vid where she made Siler into R two D two with this get (laughs) up. it's it's just it's so perfect and it's great and i love it it's hilarious so now whenever i see that it's just like okay that's r2d2 so yeah (laughs) so uh jack and daniel are up in the control room uh when hammond comes back up and jack tells hammond that daniel has a great idea if they can dial out after the next 38 minute mark then so car can't dial in (laughs) Which uh, obviously, like, duh! How did no? How did Sam not think of this before? I don't know. But Hammond's like, great idea. Let's do it. And they have like one minute left till the 38-minute thing is up. So the gate shuts down. They start to dial out, but they only get two chevrons encoded because Zokar can dial in a lot faster than we can dial out. So
0: I'm not really sure how they didn't problem because that has happened like multiple times.
1: Yeah, somehow
0: dialing faster.
1: The DHD is always faster than our dialing computer, so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is weird, cause it's a computer. Yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't the programming run like instantaneously?
1: I think we talked about this briefly when Bree was on, where because you can only send one at a time, but because our gate is actually spinning, like it has, it's sort of like a rotary phone versus a a, a push oh. dial phone. You know, you have to like. When you dial, like, a 7, you have to wait for the 7, the thing to get all the way back to the 7 before you can dial 3 and then wait for that to click back. Whereas, oh. you know, on the push button, it's just boom, 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 done. Oh, I I that. That's
0: true. So, We yes.
1: did talk about that before. Yeah. yeah. See
0: how much I remember about these <laughs> things? Well, these, these, conversations,
1: I everything.
0: <laughs> these conversations are going to be great. We're going to be able to talk about the same stuff just
1: over and over because I will not remember. And I'll be like, we talked about this four years ago when we had this person on. Right, okay. Yeah.
0: Sure.
1: Yes. Yep. So up in the briefing room, things are just getting really hot down by the gate. And Martuf is concerned that even if Sokar cannot break the iris, then he'll come by ship. And Hammond has been keeping the president updated. And basically the president has now ordered all medical intervention to be ceased. And Dr. Frazier's like, that's gonna kill him. And he's like, yeah, I, I know, but that's what I've been ordered to do, so.
0: You would think that the Tok'ra were also be way more concerned about the fact that, like, they're on earth while then. So I know,
1: cool. that's they're mistake. like stuck
0: here now. <laughs> I know, that they aren't just like, dude, can't you just, like, get us out of here, man? It's uh, our fight, know. I hard. mean, it is, but not today. Yeah.
1: So they're they're kind of hoping that uh, even if Sokar wanted Apophis alive, maybe even his dead body will at least be enough to sort of fend off Sokar for now. And well, they can't even do that, and so they can dial out. But luckily, Sam has been working on a way to make the computer dial faster, so they have 17 minutes now until their next outgoing attempt. And we cut to Jack walking into the infirmary where Apophis is now looking very, very old. And Jack looks kind of, like, pleased to see him in such state. Like, Apophis is kind of finally getting his own back or something. And he tells Apophis that they're sending him back. And unfortunately, all he gets is a response from the host and some of the words he said before away. Simu- and so Jack orders one of the guards to go get Daniel because apparently Apophis is out for the count, and we've got the host back with us. So. you remember
0: we, once upon a time I had inquired about what his actual voice sounds like, and I forgot that we actually get to hear
1: it. Yeah, I, I like, I remember this episode, but I didn't quite remember it at that time. When, yeah, yeah we'd mentioned that. It's like, oh yeah, we do get it here. Mm-hmm. But he's also like doing it as like you know thousand year old man too. Yeah, so. like
0: weak and frail and.
1: Yeah. But still. Yeah. Yes. Um, Then we get a quick scene back with the gate where things are getting very, very hot. It's up to like 173 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's just like, it's too much. The computers are like not doing good, but we just got to hang on until the next dial out window. Back in the infirmary, Daniel is now there and is translating what Apophis's host is saying. And it's just it's heartbreaking. This scene where we learn like what happened to him and he was basically just a scribe in a temple before what he calls the nightmare, which is this whole situation. And he'd hoped to eventually wake in to be able to see his wife and children again. And apparently he wakes only to die again, I think is what he says, which is just mm-hmm. like uh, uh, yeah. uh. And Daniel replies that he'll give him the rights so that he can see his family in the afterlife and then goes to get some stuff from his office. Uh, quick cut back to the control room and is over 200 degrees now. And the computers are like hanging on by a thread. And Sam's like, we just, just one more minute, just one more minute and we can dial out. And back in the infirmary, like Apophis is back briefly and he, like, beseeches Jack for a host, but just, like, that's not going to happen. And I somehow kind of feel bad for Apophis here. Like, I don't know what Peter's able to do with his acting in the scene. Like, I'm actually kind of feeling sorry for like, him aw. a little bit. Give um, the man a host. I know. <laughs> like, I mean, no, don't. But, like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Because, yeah, it's, you know, death is never good or something. It's just, it's hard to watch people die, even when they're bad people, you know. Yes. And then we get a gasp, and there's a flat line on the monitor, and Apophis the symbiote is dead, but the host is still alive somehow. Oh, wow. And we then cut back and forth as they start dialing out from the control room as Daniel gives Apophis's host his last rites. And it's a very touching scene. And I, like I said, I cried a little bit. I turned up because it's just, it's very sad. Like, this man has been in this living nightmare for like thousands of years and he'll finally be free, but he can only be free in death, which is very sad and tragic. And oh, it's, yeah. And, it's a way of so many stories. Yeah. And they managed to get the gate dialed out and Daniel's able to like finish the rites and. Yay. Um, they put like the shroud over Paphis' face and then Tilk runs from the control room to the infirmary to let them know that they've got the outgoing wormhole established and then finally like walks into the room as he sort of notices the shroud and like pulls it down and just like stares into the dead face of his former god and Tilk actually seems kind of conflicted like he doesn't seem super happy really like he, he looks almost close to tears himself kind of it's it's very interesting, like, what's happening well, with it, everybody in the scene.
0: In that moment, it's very much the end of an era and every yeah. emotion that goes with that.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, it's actually happening now. Mm-hmm. Like, he is actually dead. Oh, shit, what now? <laughs> A mm-hmm. bit. We then get everybody in the gate room and Tilk is holding Apophis's body and carries it up the ramp uh, and, like, sends it. Through the wormhole, and then the gate shuts down, and there's really nothing to do now but wait. And there is kind of a concern that if Sokar wanted Apophis alive, he could just restart the attack. But Martouf seems to think that that's not likely, as Sokar has the sarcophagus. We so can just re-po- revive Apophis and continue torturing him all over again. Isn't that <sighs> wonder wonderful? That's yay yeah, yay. And after yeah. all that, after, yeah, after all that. The Paphos could just be revived again.
0: You know what I did also wonder too is that when Teal'c was handing back the body, he just kind of like feeds it through the wormhole, right? So yeah. did you ever just imagine like on the other side the body just goes <laughs> on the floor? I mean, it <laughs> would. Have there wasn't to. anything to like catch it. He just. I know they you didn't think send they... it through with any body. He just like just fed it in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, you think maybe they'd slide it through like on the ground? rather than, like, right in the middle of the puddle. Because, yeah, when it gets through on the other side of the puddle, it's just going to, like, go through and then go... Out of the
0: puddle. ...fall
1: to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> uh. So, uh, sometime later, up in the control room, Martouf is giving them the coordinates of where he wants to go, but it's not, like, the tokra home homeworld. No, not. But he does give them a device... So that they can contact the Tok'ra directly. And it is a device of Tolan design. If you remember, the Tolan is the thing that they had before too. Because the Tok'ra are friends of the Tolan. And they are also friends of the Tauri. That's a lot of T words. I just realized we have Tauri, Tolan, and Tok'ra. Apparently, Brace starts yeah. with T. But if you're not cool, it starts with the T. And so then Jack cuts in. And well, seeing as how they're all friends now, the Tok'ra should have a GDO. And so you the think gates. think they would have given them one before with well, Sam's dad. Well, they had the Sagan box, which, you know, they still hadn't interacted with the Tokra a whole lot. So I can see wanting to be a little cautious, but I think this whole situation brought everybody a little closer. So. We uh,
0: were all stuck on the planet while being attacked together.
1: Yes, it re- really brings people together.
0: Yes, you really didn't help us whatsoever but here you're here with
1: us yeah yeah <laughs> uh so the gate's send martoof home and we get to the end
0: da! <sighs> yeah i just i think i mean the acting is amazing but i really think that the most heartbreaking part about that episode is they go through all that and then someone at the end was like oh yeah they just bring him back to life
1: yeah it's like oh god Really? Yeah. <laughs> the poor host. Jesus Christ. Ugh.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. I'm really gonna
0: think he's in hell that time because he oh, already yeah. died.
1: Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And if he's going to Sokar, Sokar rules over hell. So hey. Yeah. There you go. Really is.
0: Oh man. Yep. Poor guy. Mm. Memos. Uh. Was- yeah.
1: I don't know if there really are any this week.
0: No, there really weren't any like super obvious things to like not do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly.
1: I know. Oh my God, Chalker, there's no memos this week. What? I know <laughs> Um. Okay. So the title "Serpent Song." It's pro- I'm. The, it's probably a play on like "Swan Song," the sort of like just before death, your your Swan Song thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how old do you think the term swan song is in, in that oh. sense of like what it means to oh, us? This is one of your fun facts. Okay. I, I guess this is a fun fact. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. Um, well, I always thought it kind of, every time I think of like some sort of swan reference, I always think of ballet. So I don't know. Is it as old as a ballet thing? Is it a ballet reference?
1: It is not a, is a ballet it,
0: reference. Is it actually about the swan, the animal? Nope. Oh, okay. Then I have no idea. Why don't you tell me?
1: Uh, so the term originated in ancient Greek culture oh. and its first reference is found in <sighs> Agamemnon, okay. I'm, I can't pronounce the author's name. I forget, but in Agamemnon, which was written in 458 BC. Cool. And the remark was made when Cassandra dies. Uh, it says after singing her last death laden lament, like a swan So, hmm. um, So, actually, as it does relate to the animal, apparently the ancient Greeks thought swans were silent birds, like, until they were dying, and then they let out a song of some kind. But if you've ever seen a swan in real life, they're not. Quiet, peaceful things. They're really assholes. Swans are assholes, if you've ever met one. They're terrible. (laughs) They look really pretty, but they are assholes. Um, So, have you ever met a swan? I have not. Apparently you have. Yeah, up in um, Stratford in Ontario, there's, like, swans around there. And, yeah, do, don't get too close to a swan because it will, like, break your arm. It will they're
0: eat terrible. your face.
1: It will eat your face, yeah. They're they're not nice birds. Oh,
0: man. So, yeah. I do not want a swan to eat my face. It's a terrible way
1: to go. Yeah, no. no. Okay. Um, so some fun foreign language translations for us. <laughs> yes. One song. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them were just one song, but uh the French was La Colère des Dieu, which is the god's wrath. La de Dieu. Yes. Uh, Germ- uh the German, the English translation of the German title is The Fall of the Sun God.
0: Okay.
1: Which is interesting. And then Hungarian is Hazardous Games. Oh. Hungry has like some really interesting titles. Like, I want to know who's responsible for like renaming things for Hungry because they're doing a really good job, I think.
0: So why do you think they, they just up and change the titles? Because the original one doesn't translate well? Or are they just like, no, this is better. This is so mm-hmm. way better.
1: Yeah, I'd, I mean, it could be a lot of some, you know, some titles are very sort of Id- idiosyncratic and those don't always translate across languages. So you just have to find something that kind of fits with the theme of it. And then yeah, maybe sometimes it's just like eh, we don't like that. We're gonna go with this instead.
0: <laughs> we don't like stupid song.
1: I know it is good. So, but I mean maybe like hungry swan song isn't really a thing like it is sort of in this side of the world. Nobody
0: doesn't study ancient Greek.
1: Maybe I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: All, right. All right. Um, final thoughts.
0: I liked this one. It was really super intense. And then the ending actually kind of reminded me of uh, the same kind of feeling I got when I read The Hunger Games, like, to the very end. (laughs)
1: Like,
0: after all that, seriously, (sighs) was what I was left with. That was the emotion
1: at the end. Yeah. 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 Uh, All right. Yeah. This is a good one. This is definitely, like, near the top of the list for season two when we get Mm. to that part of our podcast season. Yes. Yes all right well thank you everybody for listening as always you can find us on twitter at sg underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo that's w-o-o-s-g rewatch at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review us please and we will see you next time for one fall